Hey folks, big January 6th news this week. Two former aides to former Vice President Mike Pence reportedly testified before a grand jury in Washington. Still, many questions remain surrounding the progress of the Department of Justice's investigation into January 6th. In other news, the January 6th committee just held its final public hearing for now. The hearing focused on then-President Donald Trump's inaction while the Capitol was under attack. And a jury convicted Steve Bannon on two counts of contempt of Congress for defying a committee subpoena. Joyce Vance and I discuss all of this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership for just $1 for one month. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. Well, so we're not going to talk about the January 6th committee final hearing of the series, the eighth hearing yet. We'll talk about it. Um, The timing was not great for me. I listened to the first hour or hour and a half of it very late at night from my hotel room in Scotland and then caught up on it afterwards. But there is more recent news in the last 24 hours, broken by various outlets, that two people, so we're not talking about the committee anymore, we're talking about DOJ, about whom there's been a lot of debate. In the last 24 hours, it's been reported that two significant White House figures have been called to testify and have testified before a grand jury convened by the Department of Justice. And those people are Mark Short, former chief of staff to Vice President Pence, and Greg Jacob, former chief counsel to Vice President Pence. We've talked about them before. There's been a lot of reporting about them before. They both gave testimony to the committee, and now they have given testimony to the Department of Justice. What does that tell you? You know, it's amazing how when DOJ is conducting a grand jury investigation, word tends to leak out. But these guys are essential witnesses, among other things, to the pressure campaign that was put on on Pence. They were present for calls. They obviously were privy to the conversations inside of the vice president's office. If you are looking at whether or not the president and or others put untenable pressure on Pence to try to interfere with certification of the vote, then these guys are essential witnesses. Yeah. And as you've you've described it, Joyce, the central importance of that testimony and why it's relevant is it goes to perhaps a few different statutes, but the main statute that I can think of that we've talked about before that would render Trump and others around him liable, criminally liable, is obstruction of an official proceeding. And one of the ways the argument would go that Trump and others obstructed an official proceeding was, as you call it, the pressure campaign on the vice president to do something that he was not authorized to do, that his lawyers told him he was not legally authorized to do, that the former vice president, Dan Quayle, told him he was not legally authorized to do, that former federal appeals court judge, Mike Ludig, told him he was not legally authorized to do. And all of that constitutes you know, arguably, combined with other evidence that we'll talk about in a few minutes, surely, an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding. Do you agree that this seems to be the first sign, notwithstanding other small signs, but the first real sign that the Department of Justice is looking squarely at potential criminal liability up to Donald Trump? 
Yes, I, I agree with that. Some of the earlier grand jury signs we saw involved investigating the fake slates of electors, which looks to me more like an intermediary step that DOJ would be setting its sights on perhaps John Eastman, perhaps even Jeff Clark, and that those folks might be prosecuted and that DOJ might make the effort to flip them and use them against folks at the top of the heap, including Trump. This looks like a direct route that would be evaluating whether or not Trump was involved in criminal activity. Yeah, so I have a couple of questions, right? So people have been doing their punditry, you you and me included, (laughs) although I hate that term. And they've talked about the way that in certain kinds of investigations, organized crime investigations and others, that you start at the bottom and you work your way up. There are other lower level people in the White House and even on Mike Pence's staff that the DOJ could have begun with, with respect to interviews and grand jury testimony. Now, it's possible that they have done a number of interviews and we just have not heard about it. It's possible that other people, lower level people, or people at just as high a level have been in the grand jury and we just haven't heard about that yet. I think that's kind of unlikely given how the world works and given how much attention there is. And you and I were talking before we started taping that there there are just a lot of reporters and cameras in the courthouse and everyone knows presumably which corridors and which stairwells and elevators lead to the grand jury room so people can be spotted. But what do you make of the fact that if if it's true that they've jumped straight to the top staffers for the vice president, what what does that mean for the theory that they were working their way up? Increasingly, it has seemed clear to me that this is not like a big drug case or a big organized crime case where you can start at the very bottom And work your way from those, you know, those very low level people, in this case, folks who overran the Capitol and somehow work those people up to Trump. And the reason that that doesn't work here, that it's not a good model, is because there are multiple conspiracies or there appear to be multiple conspiracies. The fake electors scheme is one. The effort to get the former vice president to interfere with certification is another. There are seditious conspiracy charges currently against the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys, and whether those ultimately worked their way through the Willard war rooms and on up to the presidency is still an open question. And so instead of having just one conspiracy where you work your way up, what DOJ faces here really are multiple conspiracies where they have to work their way from what we'll call the bottom, but might be more accurately a mid-range, and on up towards the Oval Office. It's unbelievably complicated and confusing. And I I think that if you wanted to try to sketch it out, you know, you would have to take up the entire wall of a very large room, and even then it would look like a mess. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that the reporting on these two top officials in the White House going in for testimony in the grand jury I think supports some of the things that you and I have been saying and some others have been saying, but not everyone, that if there were activity at this level being done by the department, we would know about it, check, that it's not enough to get the transcripts from the committee. It's not enough for the committee to have done its work for the department to piggyback on that because as we're seeing here, both of those men, Short and Jacob, testified before the committee and are also being asked to testify In the criminal proceeding, the Department of Justice has a different purpose, has a different goal, has different standards, has different proof requirements, and has to do all of its own work. So those people have to be interviewed separately, as they have been, and others as well, which leads me to the question, and maybe I missed this, 
Sure, the Department of Justice has to do its own interrogating and, and questioning of witnesses, even if they've been before the committee. But you kind of want to have the benefit of everything that they've said to the committee. Maybe I missed this because I was out of the country. But I was under the impression that the committee had not yet turned over the transcripts. Do you think the department would have put Mark Short and Greg Jacob into the grand jury without having the benefit of seeing every word of testimony they gave to the committee? Seems really unlikely to me that they would have done that. The interviews would have been incomplete. They would have run the risk of creating inconsistent witness interviews or just of leaving important pieces out. You think they've gotten them? It's just not been reported. I, I do. I think they have to have had those before they did it. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And there's been some reporting that cooperation has has begun. It hasn't been clear exactly what's been turned over. I'd say those two witness interviews are already sitting over on Pennsylvania Avenue. It's still odd to me, and I don't mean this as a criticism because I just, it's just eyebrow raising. You know, you and I have talked about Mark Short and Greg Jacob way back. Remember, Greg Jacob is the person who... You know, very conspicuously, I guess not ultimately conspicuously, but conspicuously wrote an op-ed short, shortly after January 6th of 2021, basically calling out John Eastman. And he never published it, but it was leaked at some point and was disclosed many months ago. And obviously the committee talked to them many months ago. I, I guess, I, guess I, I can't fully figure out if ultimately it was clear that Short and Jacob needed to testify in front of the grand jury, why only in July of 2022. I wish I had a good answer for that, but I don't. I mean, you know, why not Ivanka in March of 2021? There are a lot of questions like that that I still have. So do you think we'll hear about more witnesses going before the grand jury? I think DOJ will do its best to keep us from hearing, you know, one of the tricks, I'm sure you guys did this in Manhattan, the marshals service, the, the U.S. marshal in every district has sally ports that they use to bring people who are in custody in and out of the courthouse. We used to run witnesses up through the marshal's sally ports if we didn't want anybody in the press to be able to see them. I'm sure DOJ will do the best it can do to keep witnesses from being identified. But as you say, Preet, always we're going to see signs. The press is everywhere and people talk. So Mark Short, we know about Greg Jacob, we know about because it's been reported and confirmed by multiple news sources. Who else did you have on the list? I, I have a lot. So I don't know in what order they're going to do them, but who would you put on the list? I agree. It's a big list. At the top of my list, though, is Pat Cipollone, who I, I don't know if, if you were able to see this late at night in Scotland, but every time the committee showed videotape of him testifying, he looked to me like a man who really wanted to testify. He would be asked a question. It would be an important question about something that Trump did or said to him. And Cipollone would turn his head and look at his lawyer who was sitting next to him. And that lawyer, I don't know who it was. You may know him. It's Mike Propura. He used to work with me. Ah, well, he was a rock. I mean, he was a monolith. And he would give Cipollone this death glare like, no, you're not going to answer. And <laughs> Cipollone would mutter something about privilege. The best way to litigate privilege and, and to bust that privilege wide open is to issue a grand jury subpoena because we know that executive privilege is, is not without exceptions. 
and it can be balanced against the need for testimony. And and here in other cases, that need has been great enough to override the privilege. And also the attorney-client privilege has to fail in the face of criminal activity. There's already been a judge in a civil case in California involving John Eastman, who's made that ruling. We've discussed that in past episodes. So I think if DOJ pursues Cipollone's testimony aggressively, they will get a significant chunk of it that the committee was unable to get. Yeah, I mean, another way of thinking about it is they, they have to interview everyone. Not everyone has to be in the grand jury, but I don't know which subset of the thousand witnesses that the committee has interviewed, the Justice Department doesn't need to interview, if only to find conflicting statements and or get corroboration of things that one or two witnesses tell them. If there are three other witnesses in the room, sometimes it behooves you, and often, most likely, it always behooves you to talk to the others too. Because if there's going to be a criminal trial at some point, you're going to want to know before you bring an indictment what those other people are going to say. Will they say the same thing? Will they say some variation of it? Will they completely undermine the testimony of the couple of witnesses you did talk to? So we can make a list of the top folks, whether it's, you know, Mike Pence himself, like why not Mike Pence? It's Mike Pence himself or Pat Cipollone or other people in the White House counsel's office, like Eric Hirschman, who's given some colorful testimony already. God, I hope that they're going to interview him and ask him about that backdrop behind him in the videotapes, <laughs> right? That weird panda thing. No, that would be my first question, obviously. <laughs> it would be. That'd be very, very important. And I would remind them you're under penalty of perjury, sir. <laughs> Remember that as you answer this question. And then, by the way, other people that are very well known to the department institutionally, Jeff Rosen and Rich Donahue, the former acting attorney general, and deputy attorney general. I mean, there's so many people that they got to talk to. It's already late July and you have the 2022 midterm elections coming up. It's going to take them a while. I mean, now that it's been shown, apparently that DOJ is going to do its own work because it has to, as we've been saying all along, there's a lot of that work to do. It's not easy to interview, you know, dozens and dozens of people, maybe even hundreds of people on a short time frame, right? It's a real manpower issue for the department. And, and you'll recall that DOJ had asked Congress to give it additional manpower in the last budget request, and that was rejected. I'm enormously sympathetic to the position that Lisa Monaco, who probably has to figure out where the manpower comes from, finds herself in. But, you know, this is and maybe this is a conversation for another day, but there's always a tension in the department between quantity of cases and quality of cases. Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership for just one dollar for one month. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work. Mm-hmm.